What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Ruth Molesky. Ruth, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So before we dig into it, will you just give the listeners who might not know a quick background on who you are and what you're up to? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Ruth. Um, I live in the Minneapolis area of Minnesota, so it's getting super cold. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I grew up on a farm and was active growing up, but was never like really into sports or fitness or anything like that until I was a teenager and started running. Um, Yeah, so running kind of was what started me on the fitness path, running and circuit training in my parents' basement. Um, (laughs) Lots of like Pinterest workouts. I would grab, I was too cheap to pay for BBG, but I would grab some of her free stuff off of, off of Pinterest. Um, and you know, okay. like the, the five minute ab stuff and like the, all of, all of that stuff. That's what got me started in fitness in the first place. Um, so I got into running, got into like circuit training a little bit. And then in college is actually when I was introduced to the weight room, um, by my then boyfriend, now husband, Jesse. Um, so he introduced me to weightlifting, absolutely loved it. And Honestly, like I never liked running, but it was so accessible that that's, that was a good place to start. Right. You know? So weightlifting was just like this whole other thing. Like, oh my gosh, this I actually like. And just with my, I think my build and my body type, I was much better at weightlifting than running for sure. <laughs> um, so, okay. yeah. so that's how I got into to lifting. And then Shortly after that, well, in college, actually, I decided after like starting to getting starting to get into lifting, I decided um, to get my CPT. So I did that. And then after going through that course, I'm like, I'm changing majors. I was a, new, a music major at the time. I'm like, I'm changing majors or not changing major, majors. I'm quitting. <laughs> I'm quitting this major. <laughs> I'm going to pursue the fitness thing full time. So so yeah, so I started um, working in gyms around that time, about six years ago, and um, I worked in gyms for five years, various, yeah, a, a few different gyms, and then at the beginning of 2020, I took my business fully online, and that's kind of where I'm at today. Okay. Was that transition in 2020, was that something that actually happened before COVID or was that like due to COVID you made that transition? Yeah. You know what? That's, it was such a blessing really the way that it worked out because I was planning to transition to fully online in March of 2020. And I was planning that at the end of 2019, like at the end of 2019. That's so weird. Right? Oh my gosh. So I had made plans to transition out of the gym that I was working at and take things online. And then what do you know, literally like a week before I transitioned out, that's when COVID kind of fully hit. Um, So the timing just really ended up being, I don't know, just like a massive blessing. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. That is that is amazing. It's weird how things like that work out. And I think like for trainers trying to make the transition from in-person online, I think it's so easy to kind of get comfortable like 
at least for me personally, I know there was a long time where I was trying to build my business online and like trying to do the in-person thing as well. And it was like, I just had like one foot in each and like, it wasn't really working out. So I was in a position where basically I finally decided to leave the gym. I thought I was gonna be able to take a lot of my clients with me and like train as an independent contractor and like work with people in person. And it turned out I couldn't take any of my clients with me. So it was kind of like the same, like, okay, well, <laughs> I guess I have to make it work online. I can't train people within a 30 mile radius. So I guess I have to figure it out. Um, so again, I think that a lot of times things like that are kind of a blessing in disguise, but that is crazy how the timing of that worked out for you. Um, so I really wanted to make this a discussion around your philosophies for training, nutrition, and mindset for coaching women for physique development. So to kick this off, I would ask, are there a few most common mistakes you're seeing women trying to make, develop a great physique making? Yeah. Um, yes. So The first couple are definitely like, I know we're going to be on the same page with this, Um, but definitely I would say one of the number one things is women try to be in fat loss phases far too often, far too long. Um, They think that, right? They think that, um, well, they see a picture or something and usually it's someone who's super, super lean, but also someone who has a massive amount of muscle and we just think okay well if I if I get super lean I'll look like that too and it's not true first of all right we have to have that foundation of muscle um but also we run into the problem of as we stay in a cut for longer and longer and longer um the results actually get worse and worse right so that's a mistake that I definitely see women making a lot is either just chronically trying to diet or not even necessarily calling it a diet, but just chronically eating too little. Right. Um, they're like, yeah, we're not gonna, we're not going to call it diet because like that's the taboo word now, but, (laughs) but essentially what we're doing is just constantly keeping our calories super, super low and expecting ourselves to, you know, look, chiseled and whatever. Um, so I see people making that mistake a lot. I'm really fearing either going into maintenance or a build or going into a surplus. I see women fearing that for sure. Um, thankfully I do think that there is some, there's been some really good strides made in the fitness industry in that area. Um, with women being less afraid to eat more and to lift heavy and to go into a building phase and that sort of thing. But it's still there. It's still very much a thing that I think women really struggle with. Um, and then the second thing is uh, doing like classes or circuit training for for physique results or expecting, you know, mm-hmm. results with that. Not that you can't get some of that at the beginning, but once you've kind of bypassed that newbie stage, it becomes really, really hard to, you know, be going to your, your group training circuit class five days a week and, you know, eating fairly low amounts of calories and then expecting to build muscle. It's just, it's not going to happen. So, so that's, that's one is not doing progressive overload. I mean, at, at a certain point, in someone's fitness journey. And yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be at the very beginning because there's definitely some newbie gains we can get. Yeah. But at a certain point, if someone wants to build muscle, we just have to start training progressively. Right. Um, so, and then like a little extension of that is 
that some women will start training progressively, um, but they load up their workouts with a ton of jump volume. And we still, you know, just a lot of, of exercises that don't give us a lot of bang for our buck, um, which is a really inefficient way to go about it. So I would say that that's, as far as the training aspect goes, I think that that's kind of the main thing is number one, just like not doing progressive overload at all, or trying to do progressive overload, but adding in a bunch of really unnecessary stuff that's not actually, um, you know, loading the muscle very well. We're not actually able to use progressive overload well with it. Um, so yeah, so that, and then honestly, I think, I think that women also don't always, not just women, any, this is anyone, but we have to know what we want, right? Like I think so often women say they want that chiseled, um, the, the picture of like the physique competitor, competitor that they see, they see that picture and they say, that's what I right. want. But when you actually show them the cost of what it takes to get that, do, do you actually want that? You know, I mean, and that's huge too. It's because there's nothing wrong with, with not having loads of muscle. There's nothing wrong with having loads of muscle, right? right? Like either of those things are, are really fine and good. As long as we're, we're focusing on our foundational health, like you can have less muscle or more muscle and still be super healthy and super happy. Um, so I think knowing what, what they actually want, knowing the cost and then deciding is that cost worth it? And then really going all in um, is super important too, because I don't think, I don't think enough women really consider the cost before setting the goal. I love that. And I think that's a big part of the value of having a coach as well as I think a lot of times people don't understand those trade-offs when they set these expectations of this is the physique I want. But as you said, like, do you understand what that is going to cost you? I know Jordan Lips and I had a very similar conversation to this a couple of weeks ago where we we're talking about like, are you familiar with Steve Hall from Revive Stronger? Yes, yep, I am. Okay. Okay. And I have had a client who like wanted to look like Steve, but I was like, Hey, look at like Steve's lifestyle. Like it's literally everything is centered around bodybuilding. You have a job you have and kind of, kind of different context, but at the same time, somewhat similar, like you have all these other things going on where like, are you willing to do everything that he's doing here to achieve this? Because if not, like we need to change your expectations because you're just gonna be frustrated with yourself. Um, I wanted to circle back to the, resistance to like eating more calories and focusing on building rather than constantly dieting or staying in a fat loss phase. So when you bring on a client and they are somewhat resistant to that, typically how do you approach that? Or how do you kind of explain that to your clients to get buy-in? Because it is such a different concept or a different idea than most people are used to just like diet, 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 or try to keep my calories as low as I can constantly. How do you kind of approach that? Totally. Okay. I love this question. So if, if someone comes to me who's been chronically under eating, chronically dieting, chronically trying to, you know, eat super low calories and is really fearful of like, forget going into a surplus, like even going to maintenance, you know, or, or I should say getting up to a higher maintenance range. Um, if I encounter someone like that, which is fairly often, <laughs> um, here's, I'll explain to them, you know what, here's the thing with where you're at right now the options we have open to us are very few, like super minimal. We have 
there's no lower we can go. Your health is probably already suffering. You already don't have the physique you want, right? You're probably inflamed. Um, you're not in a place that you like. And there's literally the lower we go at this point, the worse it's going to get. <laughs> so like, what is our option open right. to us right now? And it's, it's our only option is for, for health and for the physique you want long-term is to go up. And the thing I absolutely love about maintenance is, well, yeah, I'll, I'll say maintenance. So the thing I absolutely love about maintenance is that if we spend a decent amount of time there, all of a sudden we have a world of possibilities open to us, right? If you spend a decent amount of time at maintenance, right. you can go into a cut, you can go into a build, you can stay at maintenance. You have literally like you, ha- you can do any goal and see really good results from it. And so that's usually what I'll try to explain to those people is like, listen, we, you've kind of backed yourself into a corner here where we don't really have anywhere else to go. And if we go here, look at like this world of possibilities that will have open up to us. I, I love that. It is. I know I have this conversation with most clients as well. And it's a lot of times I think initially people start and it's more or less, Hey, I want to do the same thing, but I'm expecting a different result. Right. Where it's like, Hey, you've been trying to stay lean. You've been trying to recomp for years and years. Like how's that working for you in the last two years? Right. Like, just because you're now paying me to coach you doesn't mean we'll get a different result, right? Like our, my, our job as coaches is to push you to do this uncomfortable thing you don't want to do, but that's really where the results lie. So I, I, I love how you explain that. Um, and then you touched on junk volume a little bit. Mm-hmm. If you don't mind, I would love to dig into that a little bit more as well, because I think that's a very important topic. Mm-hmm. So how would you kind of quantify or how, do, how would you kind of determine if we're getting into this range? And this is probably a pretty balanced question. So feel free to answer as generally as you yeah. like. How would you kind of help someone determine like, hey, this might be junk volume versus like, this is going to be more effective within your training. This is where we spend most of our time. Yeah. Well, I'd say the first thing to look at is how many exercises are you doing in a workout? You know, so often, and this is so popular just on like Instagram as well from influencers and coaches and whatnot, but just work like 12 exercises long. If your workout is 12 exercises long, there's junk volume in there. There just is, you know, so let's cut that in half. Let's decide what are the what are the most important, the best quality lifts within that. And then guess what? We can push so much harder. We can get so much more output now from those lifts. Um, as far as like actually qualifying junk volume and quality exercises, we have to actually go into like good exercise selection and, and that sort of thing. And I think that there's different there are different levels of that. For sure. You know, there are definitely like crap exercises. There are okay exercises. There are good exercises. And then there's like optimal for your specific, you know, super specific division of whatever exercises. So um, yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's definitely levels there. Okay. 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 And we're going to dig into exercise selection here in a little bit. It is definitely like, I know like on Instagram, I purposely don't follow very many people, but like the other day I was just, in a rabbit hole of Instagram and I was like looking at some influencers page and it was like a shoulder. It was like a shoulder day and there was like 15 movements in there. And it reminded me of like back when I first started working out where it was like, okay, what's literally every single chest exercise I can think of. I'm going to do that. Or like, 
10 different squat variations of the same workout where you just wreck yourself. Um, so again, I love that point. Let's dig into when you are putting together a program for a female athlete, are there any special physiological considerations that you're going to take into account? Let's start with nutrition first and then dig into training. Yeah. So I think this is, this is super broad, but I think that the, the thing I wanted to touch on here is just, especially if it mm-hmm. comes, comes to building muscle. So eating more calories, right? Um, I think balancing nutrient quality and also like living a life that you love is super important and beneficial. Okay. I mean, something that I, that I can, that I see sometimes is when I will bring women into like a building phase or into even like, you know, top, top of maintenance. Um, maybe it's kind of the first time they've been at maintenance. So we can definitely see some body recomp and some muscle building happen there. Um, it's tempting right. at that point to, when we have all of these extra calories to just fill them with, with trash. And I'm not, I'm definitely, I'm definitely not against like having some processed food by any means. But like, if it actually comes right. when it actually comes down to to health, like your your gut and your digestion, like how you feel and your energy, and then beyond that, also the actual nutrient quality does affect our our muscles, right? Our our muscle growth. So I think that just making sure that we have a healthy balance there. Of yes, like absolutely, we have more calories to work with now. Like enjoy. Um, but let's like make sure that we're also getting like some good quality carbs and like some good quality, not necessarily just filling it all with like candy and burgers because you can, you know? So, yeah. And I would say that's probably one of the easiest mistakes to make in a building phase as a whole is just like, Oh my, especially if you've been dieting for a long time, I think it's so easy to get into this, like, oh my gosh, I can have Chick-fil-A for lunch and then I can have Chipotle for dinner and then I can have like three glasses of wine after that. And then it's like, those are your daily carbs or or those are your daily calories as a whole. And it's like the nutrient quality is so low. Or even I think like cramming all your food into like a single big ass meal where you're still like, I think there's just a, it's very easy to, again, like as you said, get way too flexible with it to the point where like, Hey, you're not going to build nearly as much muscle as you could. If we did a better job with like still focusing on nutrient timing and food quality. Interestingly, I think that it's easier to like have your nutrient timing and food quality on point in a diet. Whereas I think a lot of times that's one of the biggest things people let slip in a build. Oh my gosh. Totally. Because you have to, in a diet, you have to. You know, like if you really want right. to feel good throughout your day, you have to space things out a little bit more. Um, and so you have to plan it out better. But totally in a build, like you have so much more flexibility with that if you want. But, you know, unfortunately, it can also go the opposite direction where it's like, oh, great. Like I have a thousand calories left for dinner. Like, let's just go get like a massive McDonald's meal. Not like that. <laughs> not like that's the end of the world every once in a while. I mean, you probably won't feel good, but. Right. Well, you know, if that's happening like every day, we might, we might suffer a little. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. As far as physiological considerations, was there anything else you wanted to touch on there before we moved on? I don't think so. 
Cool. Okay. So then let's get into program design and exercise selection. Um, and I really want to start talking about just mesocycle design as a whole. Now, again, for all the listeners, keep in mind, these are like me asking very specific questions that have to be very generalized. So take everything with a grain of salt. Like these are probably going to be general recommendations, not this is exactly what you have to do, right? Like that's again, the part of individualized coaching. So we can actually tailor everything to you. But to start things off, let's talk through when you're choosing a training split for a client who starts with you, what does that process look like? Or how do you go about choosing that? Yeah. Um, so interestingly, this is one of the most common questions I get on Instagram <laughs> is what's your training split and what should mine be? Um, <laughs> which I think is hilarious because I feel like we're probably going to agree on this a little bit too, but it really matters so much less than people think. Right. Um, right. so the first priority really is weekly volume, making sure that we have have that where we want it and where we need it. Um, and then from there, oh man, there's, it really, it depends on, you know, the goal with the training and whatnot, but something that I do tend to do most of the time is make sure that I'm splitting larger muscle groups a little bit more evenly throughout the week. Um, so we just have more of an even amount of energy being expended each day. Um, what I find is, I mean, because what are our largest muscles, right? It's like lower body stuff and back. Um, right. And so if we're doing like a typical row split of <laughs> upper, lower, whatever, um, what we're doing is we're putting all of our most taxing lifts on one day. We're grouping them all together, our most taxing lifts, um, most energy most neurologically taxing, all of those things. And we're grouping them together. And then we're on the flip side, we're generally putting our like smaller stuff on other days. Um, and it's not that it's not that that is a, a huge deal, maybe for someone who's beginning and who's going to get gains no matter what. But for someone who is more intermediate to advanced, and we really want good output on, um, on, our, on our lower body, on all of our lifts, really, it can be really beneficial to rather than putting, um, you know, our squat, our deadlift and our hip thrust all in one day, rather instead breaking them up throughout the week, you know, doing a squat deadlift and hip thrust on three different days throughout the week. I just see that people can give a lot more to those lifts um, when we do something like that. So when we split up larger muscles a little bit more evenly throughout the week and just split up, um, it just splits, splits volume a little more evenly throughout the week. I found really good success with that for sure. Um, but honestly, like I said, I think the bottom line here is make sure that weekly volume is somewhere between like nine to 18 sets per muscle per week. And from there, you're probably good regardless of if you do okay. you know, back and biceps together or not. <laughs> Okay. Okay. And then within that volume, basically what you're saying is it's probably more advantageous for, okay, if we have nine sets of glutes, for example, mm -hmm. rather than us doing these all in one day, Hey, we're probably going to spread this out across at least two to maybe three training days. Is that pretty accurate? Yep. Okay. So what do you say then when you're programming that, does that typically look more like 
a full body split or we have like components of upper body and lower body in there or can you dig into that a little bit more yeah um yeah so somewhat to an extent i think the question you just asked you asked if i would split up glutes throughout so i wouldn't necessarily do i think i answered too quickly i wouldn't necessarily do that sometimes sometimes i will split up you know actual like muscles throughout different different days of the week but at least not putting all of the largest muscles on the same day, if that makes sense. You know, we're not doing all of our... Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what did you just ask again? Repeat the, quest, the last question. <laughs> so is that... So basically then, is that typically going to be more like a full body type split yeah. where again, like, hey, maybe we're focusing on glutes hamstrings and then we're going to like touch on biceps and side delts as well is that typically kind of what that'll look like yeah it's yep for the most part um exactly so you can call that a full body split uh, or i know i think sometimes people think if you say full body split that you're doing the full body every day which is not not right yeah so just to clarify that it doesn't mean that you're working everything every day it's more so basically it's going to be there could be a little upper a little lower a little this little that Yes. Yep. That's generally what I do. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like it. So from there to dig into exercise selection a bit. All right. So how do you go about choosing or helping choose for a client the best exercises for building muscle? What are some things that you're looking for there? Yeah. Love this. Okay. So first of all, N1 totally changed the way that I look at exercise selection um, I've done their courses now for the past couple of years and just went to one of their practicals, which is so good. Um, so yeah, knowing like origin insertion of muscles and anatomy and that sort of thing, which it seems like, you know, that is what trainers would know, but <laughs> it's not necessarily a given by any means. Understanding those things helps so much, um, with choosing good exercises for sure. So for building muscle, one of the most important components is choosing like a good stable exercise that we can get good output on. So for example, you know, if we're comparing two squats, we have on the instable end of the spectrum, we have like doing a squat on a BOSU ball, holding a dumbbell over our head or whatever, right? So like, yes, we're squatting, (laughs) we are squatting, um, but are we able to get good output on that movement? Um, Absolutely not, right? Versus on the other end of the spectrum, on like the stable end of the spectrum, we have a hack squat where, you know, we have that back support and we're able to load that up with, you know, 200 pounds or whatever versus the 20 pounds that we could possibly use on that BOSU, what's going to be better for actually building the the desired muscle or um, the quads? Definitely going to be the more stable exercise. So that's that's a big one um, that I would definitely, definitely, definitely um, emphasize when, when doing programs for building muscle is just choosing good stable exercises. Okay. I like that a lot. So then how do you, so if we looked at that, mm-hmm. and this isn't, I'm just interested to hear your take on that. So if we looked at that and it's like, okay, 
for quads, a hack squat is going to be a more stable exercise. Mm -hmm. Would you then ever program like I'm going to do a back squat with my heels elevated? Or if you had a hack squat available, would it basically be I'm just always going to avoid I'm just always going to roll the hack squat because it's the most stable? Yeah. So that question makes sense. That does. Yep, totally. So I would, I definitely use both of those. Yeah, I do. Um, And I think it depends a bit on the type of of program that we're doing and the intent with it. Um, You know, the intent of, of the individual who's, who's getting the training, right. If we, if, if it's specifically a program for building, I am going to definitely lean more towards those more stable exercises, but there's definitely benefits to doing exercises where we have to use our core to stabilize, right? Like, and, um, and that's right. sort of thing where we're true, like, you're not going to be able to do quite as much weight in a, in a heel elevated barbell squat, but it, it does have other benefits. So there are some trade-offs there as well. So I will definitely program um, both of those things in different scenarios. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So from there, one of my favorite topics as of late, how do you like to progress across a mesocycle? So for example, like I know some people really favor the Renaissance periodizations, like RIR progression across the mesocycle. Um, one thing, again, Jordan's come up a lot on this podcast, but we were discussing was like starting at two RIR, then like going to zero, zero to one RIR across like sets within a single training day. Is there a typical like progression across the mesocycle that you favor in that regard? Yeah. So here I think just a little, um, overview first especially if people are listening to this who create their own programs um because i i love this conversation too um but i think that sometimes people get really like they get stuck on this like oh my gosh how should i be progressing my program in order for like optimal hypertrophy and they get super stuck on it and the truth is like you could do a three by ten for eight weeks and if you're adding weight progressively throughout that cycle you're gonna, that's progressive overload, you know, like you're gonna probably build some muscle. So, I mean, there are some issues with that, right? It's boring, number one, and it can be a little easier to hit, I think, mental plateaus in in those scenarios, which is why I do Mm -hmm. like, I do for the most part, um, pretty much always do like some sort of built in progression for sure. So yeah, it depends. It definitely depends. I don't have necessarily just one that I always lean towards or always um, always use. It depends a little bit on the phase of training, but like for, for example, for tension-based programs, um, where we're really trying to spend time in the lengthened position, I like to do tempo progressions throughout, throughout a mesocycle. So, um, yeah, so we'll increase the tempo a bit. Um, one of my favorite, favorite ways to, um, just kind of switch this up a little bit, actually, is or lately has been to increase the tempo throughout and then um so maybe starting it out we have like a semi-slow eccentric and then about midway through we add paused reps right so like we're we're pausing in the lengthened position so for example a squat like we'd be pausing at the bottom of the squat and etc and then at the end of the program we pull out those pauses and really are able to see the weights increase there as well, which is kind of a fun way 
a fun way to do it in, in that sort of scenario. Um, so that's, yeah, so that's the way that I would approach that. Uh, currently, um, we're in a metabolic lock in my group program and we are, we're doing increased reps and RPE throughout the cycle. So I definitely, I don't have like a cut and dry. This is what I always do answer. Right. Um, yeah, it does depend a little bit on the training modality, but then also on, you know, what I'm feeling that day. No, <laughs> <laughs> I feel it. I bet. I, I really like that idea of the progression of increasing or basically slowing down your tempo, adding pauses, and then pulling them out at the end of the mesocycle cycle and then watching the numbers shoot up. That's that sounds that just sounds very fun. And then it sounds like as a whole, you probably you program pretty similar to like how someone from N1 would where you're going through like hypertrophy, neuro, and metabolic phases. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um so Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, you're right. Like doing that, the whole like pause reps and then pull those out. It is, it is super fun. And I, and I think that it's really, it's one of those mentally like stimulating progressions where people feel like they're absolutely like progressing out of this world. And like, yes, you are progressing, but also it's just, it's like tricking you a little bit, you know, but it's, it feels really good. Right. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Yeah. So in a typical hypertrophy phase, then are you normally like assigning an RIR target or is it kind of like, Hey, let's just try to progress this across the muscle cycle. Yeah, I do. Well, I actually, I use RPE, but same, same idea. So okay. yes, yep. I will okay. always assign something. It's not, that's not always where the progression happens, but I will always have a target there. Right. So people will, so, you know, clients will understand the intensity they should be training at. So okay. Okay. Absolutely. So then would you consider like throughout this tension based hypertrophy style of training where like through the first half where we're using the same, just for the listeners, where we're using the same tempo or we're slowing the tempo when using the same mode, for example, would you consider that then progressive overload as well? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Same load for a low triple. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would also give the instruction in that case, we are still trying to increase weight whenever possible, like always okay. try and add a little bit of weight. Um, but if I, if we're adding a pause, ab- absolutely. Like that's progressive overload is placing more tension on a muscle, right? So if we are doing right. you know, the first couple of weeks, it's a three count eccentric, but there's no pause. And then we add in that pause. Um, we're, we're definitely placing more tension on that muscle for sure. Especially, you know, in the lengthened position where it's going to be the hardest, most load. Um, right. Yeah. So I'll also usually give the instruction. Um, try it. I mean, if you can increase, go ahead, but likely at least the first week that we do that, you probably won't be able to increase, but that's still progression. Absolutely. And I just think that's important to understand because I think a lot of times people look at progressive overload as only adding weight or even like only adding reps where there's so much like, Hey, did you do this with better execution? Did you create more tension than you did previously? Then, okay, cool. We're making progress here still. And I I think that's important to understand because I know like I have this conversation with clients all the time where it's like, I'm so frustrated because I didn't be the logbook this week from last week. When it's like, hey, there's so many more factors here that we have to look at, right? Totally. Totally. 
Totally. And not to mention, like, we're not always going to be able to add weight every week, even if that is the intent. Like, even if there were no built-in progressions and, like, what you were supposed to be doing is adding weight, like, just because we're human and sometimes our sleep sucks and sometimes whatever happened, whatever, you're not going to be able to add weight every single week. The goal is to look at it more as, like, what's my trend over time? Have I have I been trending up right. over time? That's good. Yeah. A hundred percent. I love it. So for you, you put a major emphasis on execution. I really love, again, I mentioned before we talked on air, like I found you through YouTube actually. Um, and in your content as well, like a major emphasis is on the execution of all these movements. So I would ask, how do you help audit execution with your clients since you're not working with people in person anymore? Yeah. Well, first of all, since you mentioned YouTube again, I just remembered, I, if anyone looks me up on YouTube, just I have a lot of old videos on there too. So definitely, if you're going to look at execution videos, try to look at the ones that are <laughs> in the past year. <laughs> just a little like PSA there. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I do, I do form videos with clients. Um, and I, I'll generally have them video from a few different angles and send them in and then Usually my response is also via video. You know, every once in a while, especially if it's someone I've been working with for longer, I can type them out a response and they're going to understand it. But generally I'm, I'm, you know, sending them a video, kind of showing them the adjustments that I want made. And man, that's been working really, really well, especially if, if I have like a front view, side view, in some cases I need a back view too, but like you can see everything. We can go over exactly exactly some the tweaks that need to be made and yeah it's been working it's been working well okay and that's very similar to what we do do you ever have anyone resistant to taking four videos yeah so yes yes and no (laughs) so what i i've in the past um in my group program i had the option of uploading form videos to the private Facebook group. And that was like, that was the only option. It was like, if you want form help, upload it to the Facebook group. That there was definitely like a lot of people who did not feel comfortable with that (laughs) because it felt more public, we felt self-conscious, whatever. So within the past, maybe six months or so, I changed that and just changed to, you know, we'll no form videos in the Facebook group. If you want one-on-one form coaching for me will just, there's like this upper tier for that. And then it'll be private. Um, And I right off the bat had a lot of people be like, Oh my gosh, thank you for doing that. Like I didn't want to post it publicly, but I haven't had people really resist. um, I guess, send me private form videos. Okay. Okay. I know that something I've talked about with a few clients in the past is just feeling uncomfortable filming themselves in the gym and kind of like that being a little bit of a stumbling block to overcome. Is that, is that something you typically, not necessarily they don't want to send it to you, but just like, Hey, I really feel nervous and like weird about filming myself in the gym. Is that something that you run into? Okay. Yes, totally. Yeah. 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 Um, yes. (laughs) I, so definitely. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of my clients know that I have like a tripod. I'm a super annoying person who, well, I try not to be, right. I try so hard to be, to like <laughs> and not, not flash my tripod around, but I mean, it's there and people can see it. So I think they think like, I need to lug in this tripod and like set up this massive camera. And it's like, you know what? 
Set up your water bottle on the floor, lean your phone against it. Most people don't even see it. Truly. And I know you feel so silly. Right. You feel like everyone sees it and everyone knows, but most people don't even see it. So usually I give that little, the water bottle thing. I, a lot of people actually, you know, don't think of it. They think they have to get a tripod. I mean, and some do, and that's, that's great, but just use your water bottle, set it on the floor. As long as you get your whole body in the shot, like it doesn't matter if it's the best angle. It's just for me. You're not posting anywhere or whatever. So, yeah. Uh, that's what I always say as well is just prop it up on your water bottle and realize again, like no one actually cares as much as you think they do. Like it's easy to think like, Oh my gosh, everybody's looking at me and seeing me film myself in the gym when really like everyone's more or less just thinking like the same thoughts you are like, Oh my gosh, I hope that nobody noticed that I just did this or, you know, so I think it, I think that's important to understand as well. Like people aren't as focused on it as you think you are. But again, I think that's one of the most, like, again, taking it back to our idea, our goal as coaches is, or our job as coaches is a lot of times do you push you to do the uncomfortable things. Like I, that's one of the biggest for, for us, at least that's one of the biggest pieces to actually helping someone get results, right? Because we give you the best program on paper, but if the execution isn't there, you're not going to get the results out of it that you want to. So again, like that's, again, I think another piece of pushing into discomfort mm-hmm. It's part of our job to push you to do. Um, cool. I think that was very helpful. So for the listener not working with a coach, how would you recommend they start auditing or improving their own execution? Yeah. Oh, this is important too. Um, yeah. So first of all, to some extent, especially if you're doing it yourself, you have to know to some extent what you're looking for, right? Um, cause you can take form videos all day long, but if you're not sure what you're looking for, I mean, you're, it's still not going to be, it might be a little helpful, but it won't be very helpful. Right. So I would say, um, for people who like aren't at a place where they can invest in a coach, follow reputable coaches who invest in continuing education. Um, and that is going to get you a long ways for sure. Um, and I really emphasize that last part, make sure they invest in continuing education. Um, they're evidence-based like that sort of thing. That's definitely going to be the ones that I would, that I would trust, like follower account has something to do with it. See if they're, if they're keeping up on their certifications and if they're investing in like education for themselves. And then, um, yeah. And then from there, I think, trying to kind of take some of that content and apply it to yourself can be helpful for those who can't afford a coach or who can't, who aren't in a place to invest. Obviously investing in a coach is the best, like that's going to be the best, but you can definitely get started by just like following reputable coaches and, and kind of emulating what you see there. And then, yeah, you do have to start taking form videos. It's so you have to kind of know what you're looking for and then you have to t- start taking form videos. And so yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, if you need to, like, get yourself a black phone case that blends in with the floor and set it against your water bottle <laughs> and, like, just suck it up, buttercup, and do it. I mean, if, if that's if that's your goal, if your goal is to improve your execution and become more efficient in the gym and um, really build muscle or improve your physique, sometimes we have to, well we definitely have to get uncomfortable sometimes, right? For those things that, that right. are goals for us. So if part of your discomfort is getting used to filming yourself in the gym, 
that's a pretty small price to pay, especially compared to like the nutrition and all of that. Right. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And I love what you said about first, you need to know what you're looking for. And I'll definitely say for the listeners following Ruth and then lifting Lindsay, I think are my two favorite like from the perspective of like, Hey, this is what you need to be looking for within your own execution. I think you two do such amazing jobs. And also like with your journeys as a whole, not just like being transparent, like, Hey, I'm not always shredded. I'm going through a building phase right now. This is what I'm feeling. And this is the reality of like what you need to expect as well. I think you two do such an amazing job of putting that out there, which I really appreciate because I know like a lot of our clients will mention you guys often where, and it's like a very much an inspiration to like be able to see like the process you guys are going through and how it's not like, even for like, okay, this, she has the physique I want, but even she's in this place right now where she feels more fluffy and she's focusing on building, et cetera. So I appreciate you two for that tremendously as well. Oh, thank you so much. That that means a ton. Lindsay has definitely taught me a lot too. She's awesome. So yeah, I appreciate that. So last question I wanted to ask you, as far as the psychological component of coaching women, is there a specific mindset you're trying to instill with the women you work with? Yes. (laughs) Yes. So, okay. (laughs) Number one is to be present in the goal that you choose. So, you know, we, we talked a little bit at the beginning about considering the cost and the, you know, deciding if you're willing to pay the cost. And then once you decide, okay, I'm willing, you know, I'm, I'm willing to pay the cost. I'm willing to go through this six month bill for the muscle that I want. Um, and I know the cost is going to be being fluffier. I know that's, that's how it's going to be. So I'm willing to pay the cost. Now, as we go into that goal, we have, two options. We can embrace that. We can say, you know what, I'm going to focus on the good parts of this season. So the good parts are I have all of this, all of these macros, all of these foods that I can eat, um, you know, within reason, as we talked about earlier, but all of these foods that I can eat, I don't have to do a lot of cardio. I feel super strong in the gym. Like I'm hitting PRs left and right. Um, I know that I'm building muscle. I have a lot more freedom just in my social life because it's a lot easier to fit things in and all of that. There are so many pros, right? But there are also cons to every season. And and maybe that con for someone is, okay, but you're also like, you're also gaining some body fat and that's inevitable, but it is happening. And for most women, they might see that as a con, right? The thing is, we can either focus on the good in, in the in the goal that we chose, right? Like no one forced you into it. You chose it. You can either focus on the good or we can be stuck in this eternal state of the grass is always greener. So when we're building, we wish we were cutting. When we're cutting, we wish we were building. When we're maintaining, we wish we had harder goals. I see women struggle with that a lot. And that's something that I think I probably have a conversation with like one of my clients with not the same one, but like (laughs) one of my, you know, clients probably every week is, you know what, like you chose this goal. Now you can decide what your mindset is going to be in it. Are you going to be present and look at like the pros of the goal? 
Or are you going to be consistently stuck in looking at all of the all of the other goals and all the other things that you wish you had at this point? Because the reality is you're just going to live a miserable life then, if that's the case. If you're never present in the goal that you choose, um, you're always you're always going to be miserable. I love that so much. I know I have that same conversation with clients often. Mm -hmm. I typically like to sum it up as, hey, the least productive thing you can do is complain about shit that you're choosing to do, right? Like if this, no one's forcing you to diet, no one's forcing you to get fluffy. Mm -hmm. If this is your goal, if this is what you want, then (laughs) embrace it or choose to do something else. But again, like the best way to waste your time is like choose this goal and then complain about it and like half-ass it essentially the entire time right if that's the case let's just choose a different goal like it's okay i'm not going to force you to do anything as your coach so i i absolutely love that mindset um i've really really enjoyed this conversation as a whole um i want to be respectful of your time here but before i let you go can you just let me know or let the listeners know i should say where they can find you in anything at all that you have going on you'd like to plug yeah. So on Instagram, I am Ruth underscore M-P-O-W-E-R, empower without the E. Um, and then my website is the same, ruthempower.com. Um, you can connect with me for for coaching, that sort of thing, through my website. Um, at the moment, I'm taking nutrition clients, one-on-one nutrition clients, as well as members into my group training program. So both of those things are on my website. Um, yeah. And I think, I think that's it for my, for my plugging, but thank you so much for having me. I've super enjoyed this conversation. And honestly, I have a, I knew this would be an issue, but I keep wanting to ask you questions. Cause I'm like, Oh, I wonder, I would love to hear <laughs> things with him. So I guess I'll have to start a podcast and have you on and ask you <laughs> questions too. If you do, I am so happy to be there. Um, again, thank you for coming on. I will link everything up in the show notes so that all the listeners can find you. And we will talk to you guys soon.